Hey, Forge family. God bless you. This is going to be episode number seven out of First Peter in this podcast. Let's take a quick look back at last week's episode. The Apostle Peter, uh, having previously urged and uh, ordered the believers in the towns and villages and cities who met in homes along this road that ran, runs from the the Mediterranean, all the way north to the Black Sea. He turns to them in this circular letter, and he says, love one another with agape love. Now this is the love that pours out from Father God. It's not, it's not brotherly love. It's not, it's not uh, something, well, if you love me, I love you back. This is unconditional, self-sacrificing love. He's saying, be filled with it that kind of love and your relationships in those gatherings in Asia Minor. And then he turned to chapter 2, verse 1, to define the stuff that will blunt and deflect and kill off this agape love that heaven wants to flow through them to one another. Remember, he says, strip off, get it off of you. The malice that's there, it's still there. You know, we're, we're, we're coming to Christ, but we're coming from a background of fallen living. All of us, especially those in Asia Minor. There were those who were religious, and there were those who were idolatrous. Okay, There were Jews and Gentiles. He's saying, all wickedness has to go. Get it off of you. All guile. You know, the deceitful, crafty part of your character that lays traps, be done with it. Leave it. Hypocrisy. You know, don't play a role. Don't do one thing and say another. The envying of one another, the comparison of one another, your appearance, your resources, your experiences, relationships and opportunities, where you're always sort of keeping count and watching one another and scoring points. Don't do that, he says. And then lastly, slander. He says, "Get get it out. All slander has to go. No defaming speech. No speaking down to each other. Instead, he says, long for the word of God. And as you receive it and receive it and receive it and feed on it, it's going to grow your salvation. Now, he said also, we were called to the living stone. That's to Jesus. To this one who was set by God the Father as as a chief cornerstone. And then he turns and he says, and You all are living stones. So we're gathered in with Jesus in the same building. He's the chief cornerstone, and we're being built into place as a dwelling place for a holy priesthood. Hey, Forge, hey, brothers and sisters who are hearing this podcast scattered abroad, we are priests. All of us serve God. There's no, there's no laity, okay? There's, no, there's nobody who just kind of goes, well, I'm going to be an observer. I'm going to just sit back and be anonymous. No, we're all priests, okay? We all stand before God because we have an open access to him, and we all stand before people and represent God, okay? And then he called us to spiritual sacrifices, you know, the laying down of your life, even unto the point of death, and, and with that comes that call for obedience and attitude and humility and reverence that says, I'm going to pour out myself 
for the kingdom of God as a spiritual sacrifice. All right, people, let's pray before we start this next podcast. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that you are leading us through these verses. They were coming to people who were uh, not yet in full-blown persecution, but it was on its way. It was coming from the west to the east. And Lord, um, perhaps um, that's the direction it's going to come <laughs> for us. Lord, uh, it's been spoken over us that, that the, the church is going to have to stand on its own two feet. It isn't just going to be a simple part of the culture. And so we ask you, Lord, help us learn these lessons now. And also, Lord, we want to be those who lay aside all that malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and slander so that we can feed on the word of God. We can grow in our faith and our salvation. And we're built up with you. Prepare us now for what comes next. Open our eyes and ears and hearts in the spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, read along with me if you, if you want to in, in chapter 2, Philip, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Here's what it says. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this stone, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. So I'm sure you've noticed, uh, in this, particularly in chapter 2, but Peter is... He is quoting uh, from the Old Testament very frequently. He is going Isaiah. He is going Zechariah. He is going um, Hosea. He, because the scriptures that he had in A.D. 60, give or take, okay, they were the Old Testament scriptures. They were the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the histories. That, that was, they were the scriptures that he had. Now, yes... Paul's circular letters to various cities and regions, to believers, they were in circulation. Peter had, had seen them. Peter had related to them. You know, he was aware of them because he quotes, he, he handles the text much the same way, the same verses in the same way. Okay? But Paul, or the, but, and we, we know that, that Peter probably had already dictated his memories of being a disciple of Jesus. Of being called down to the seashore and having, having uh, Jesus go out in his boat and, and cast the net and a vast harvest of fish and coming to Peter's house. And, and his mother-in-law is desperately sick with a, with a fever. And Jesus steps in and heals her. And she stands up and begins to prepare food and serve them and minister to them. So those are, those are things that, that John Mark could not have known. Because he wasn't a disciple. He wasn't with Jesus. He was a much younger man. He was perhaps half the age of Peter at that time. But it is said that, P, that John Mark wrote 
down what Peter recorded, what Peter remembered of being a disciple, following Jesus through, and, he, and of his ministry, of his, um, uh, his miracles, of the uh, being seized in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the trial uh, that Peter attends. Uh, Peter's in the background. Peter's up against. He's challenged, challenged three times. Oh, you are certainly one of the followers of Jesus. You know, and Jesus goes to trial. He's condemned. He's executed on a cross. He's buried and he's resurrected and he reappears alive and breaks bread with his disciples that resurrection night. Three days after being buried, he's alive and he's in their midst and he says, give me something to eat. And then he goes up to, to Galilee and he calls to the fishermen who are out fishing, been fishing all night long, got nothing. Who's on the boat? That's Peter. So the Gospel of Mark, we believe, was the story that Peter laid out of his walk with Jesus. Now that was in circulation as well. But those were the, the only thing that was, were going. The teachings of Jesus and some of the circular letters of Paul and the Old Testament scriptures. So when Peter comes to teach, he teaches out of the Old Testament scriptures. Now this is Peter's third visitation to Isaiah 28, 16. Last week, we, we read Acts chapter 4, and he was preaching in front of the rulers and high priests of Sanhedrin, and he, he quoted Isaiah 28, 16, of this, this cornerstone that the builders had rejected. You know, because Jesus came, he lived in front of you, and you rejected him, and you crucified him. And last week, okay, he, he mentions that in chapter 2, verse 4 of 1 Peter, and now in verse 6, he describes this as a precious cornerstone. Now, we didn't talk about how stonemasons deal with a cornerstone, but the, the, the cornerstone was, was what set the, the dimensions and the orientation of the building. You set that cornerstone in such a way that the walls would run in a certain direction, both left and, and right, per perpendicular to each other, and that determined that the size and the dimension and the orientation of that whole building. It dictated how the structure would be built. So, like Paul, Peter recognizes what God did in Christ. God chose to place his son as the chief cornerstone. Now, to those of us who have believed what God did, and to those of us who received God's mercy for us on the cross, and who trust in Jesus' finished work for our salvation, we see Jesus as precious. And the text continues and says, we're not going to be disappointed. We're not going to be put to shame. That's the real deal. And then Peter Peter here assumes his readers are all in. They've pushed all their chips in. They're all committed to this. You know, that we're all being built up into this holy dwelling as living stones. So, Forgies, others who are listening in, just think with me. What's wrong with the statement of those who say, oh, yeah, uh, I'm a believer. Yeah, I, I've, I have trusted Jesus. Now, no, 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 I'm not involved in a church. No, I'm, I'm really not involved. I'm not interested, really, in the kingdom of God. You see, then you, you have a statement of someone who is an individual 
Christian. You put those two words side by side. Individual and Christian. That's a non sequitur. It means not, it, it's senseless. It makes no sense. Because the individual is someone who stands on his values and his dreams and his priorities and his own morals and his own rules. And they may have been affected by his reading of the scriptures, but he's learned nothing from his brothers and sisters and he's not being held accountable. In contrast to that, the Christian is the one who is leaning on the scriptures and pressing in on, on, on Holy Spirit to help inform him as he reads and applies. There's koinonia, there's fellowship, there's sharing together between one another and loving one another in fellowship with other brothers and sisters and we're being joined together, joined together and being built up. So for those who are now being drawn as living precious stones to the cornerstone, okay, that's laid out by the Father, Peter says the blessings are going to flow. But for those who disbelieve, maybe, maybe more specifically, it has to do with those who disobey, but for those who disbelieve, who say, I have no time for that, you know, that whole thing is a fairy tale. You know, that, that, what's the difference? Ah, there's, there's Maharishi, there's Buddha, there's, uh, you know, there's this and there's that. There's many ways, many ways to God. And, and Jesus was a good man, but, but he wasn't God. Okay, those individuals have to deal with verse 8. Okay, verse 8 says, This same precious cornerstone to them who disbelieve is a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Okay, the stone, the stone here is, is the Greek word is listos. It's just, it just a, it's a loose stone in a path. And I'm sure if you've been hiking on a rough trail, if you've gone backpacking, if you're trying to kind of do some brush humping where you just take off, you go cross country, you know, you, there are loose stones and they'll roll underneath your feet and you'll go woohoo and, and, and stumble. Okay, you know what that's like. How close you come to, say, turning an ankle. Okay, that stone is a, is a stumbling stone. That the, sto the, the cornerstone of Jesus is also a rock of offense. It's part of a ledge that sticks out of the earth. It is a massive chunk of rock, and all you see is like the tip of the iceberg. And you're going to bark your shins on it. It's going to stop you right there. So there's the combination of the loose stone on the path and this ledge that's right there that sticks out. And you're destined, as you go along disbelieving, you're going to run yourself into those things. <clears throat> and you'll trip, and you'll stumble, you'll stagger, and you will fall. Because that's the penalty for knowing disobedience. See, these are, these are not Christians. These are people who know what the Bible says about a particular subject, about, the, about a moral position, about a view of life, about eternity. And they look at that and they go, forget it. Not me. I'm not buying into that. And they turn and they go down the path. And on that path is a stone to stumble over and a rock of offense. Because the word of God says, you know, they have to deal with Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus said, if, if I'm rejected and I'm hated, you, the disciples, the followers, the living stones, you too will be rejected and you too will be hated. 
just just being built into a holy dwelling on God on a godly foundation doesn't guarantee that persecution won't come our way. But to those who who reject this living stone, who want nothing to do with the word of God, and they choose the opposite, they choose disobedience, then what comes is a stumble and a fall. And, And there's judgment laid out as consequence for those wrong choices. Now, lest you think that Peter's statement about us as elect is being applied here in this text as, well, then that means there has to be those who are are chosen to perdition. They're chosen to be lost and dead and dying for eternity. Let me me read to you 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. You see, Peter wrote two circular letters to these people. And in his second letter, he said, quote, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay? So there's a theologian named Big that I was reading, and, and he, uh, he said, the disobedience of these people who st- stumble and who smack up against this rock of offense, this 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 Jesus of Nazareth, risen from the dead, living, present, son of the Father, their disobedience is not ordained. The penalty for their disobedience is. So we're going to, we're going to be surrounded by those who are experiencing what it is to stumble and to fall, to bark their shins on the scriptures and get up and be angry about it and frustrated about it. Not long ago, I was out to try to repair my fence after a winter storm and um, a man walked by and I recognized him. He was a man who had been walking up and down my street for years. He and a dog and his wife would walk up and down my street and I'd see them once, twice, sometimes three times a day and I, and I figured... Wow, he's he's either really trying to get in shape or something is going on, but they're they're working that dog, they're working each other. And then then he would be out riding his bike alone. And this, but this man was walking, and he wasn't walking very fast. And so I said, Hey, you know, I, I recognize you. You you all been walking by here, riding by here. So where's the dog? He said, Oh, the dog died. I said, Well, last time I saw you, you were riding a bike. He says, I can't ride the bike anymore. I said, Why? He said, I have tuberculosis. I said, how did you, cont- you know, how did you get to Berkeley? I don't know. I don't know how I got it. I said, well, I, you know, I've got a great story about tuberculosis. And he, it stopped him. And I, um, what was running through my mind was Revelation 19.10 that says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, which is a way of saying when Jesus does something, and you can give a testimony about that. It, it creates that spirit that says, he'll do it for you too. So I told him the testimony of Jan, my wife, in a hospital in Malawi, in a quarantine ward with 67 people with, with tuberculosis. It was a death sentence. There's no medication. There's no treatment. They're, they're there, set aside, quarantined, almost incarcerated, to die. And... They had just entered, you know, she and another woman had just entered the ward 
and they had just begun to meet people and, and pray for people. They were wearing masks as that was required. And, and then they had a they, they heard the, the alert, get back on the bus, get on the bus. So they these two women stopped and they prayed for everybody that they would come to know Jesus and his healing power and be made whole. Got on the bus, went home. And six months later, we got written written evidence that the day after the team left Malawi, that was the next day, 67 people left that hospital and went home well. Every tuberculosis patient was healed completely and released from the care. And I turned to this man on the street and I said, uh, um, can I pray for you? To be healed of tuberculosis. And he's, he backed away from me. He put up both hands. And he said. Oh please don't pray for me. Don't pray for me. And he turned and he walked away as fast as he could. So somewhere in that man's life. The healing power of Jesus. Is a rock of offense. Now, join with me. We're going to pray for Mark before we close. You know, he told me his name. I haven't seen him since, face to face. Um, but I, I, I want to pray for him later on. <clears throat> Paul writes something kind of similar in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And this is what it says. For we are fragrance of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one... An aroma from death to death to the other. An aroma from life to life. So, here we are people, living stones. And the fragrance that pours off of us is life for those who are being saved. And it is the scent of death for those who want nothing to do with Jesus. And they're choosing darkness instead. Now read with me, verses 9 and 10. But you, in contrast to those who are stumbling and, 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 and uh, have to deal with this rock of offense, but you, you receivers of this grace, this mercy, and you living stones, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Obviously, this is a contrast between those who cling to Jesus and see him as precious and those who push back and turn away. Peter says, you're a chosen race. You are handpicked. You're a kingly, ruling priest. All of you are priests. You're unique. You're separate. You're other. You're different. You're a holy nation. You're a people who are for God's own possession. So that, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a purpose behind this, being a chosen race, kingly priest, unique holy nation of people for God's own possession, so that you can, and here Peter chooses a word that's used no place else in the New Testament, 
He says, you're to tell it out. Ex angelon. It's to be, it's to be verbally proclaimed. And it's, he speaks of God's excellencies. His virtues, his goodness, his power, his mighty deeds, his glory, his wisdom, his grace, his mercy, his love, and his holiness. That should be on the tip of your tongue. That should be queued up, ready, so that in situations you can say, uh, you know, I had this thought. I was reading last night, and this thought came to me, and what if we did this? And that it's an idea that is worth gold. And they'll say, where did you get that? Where did you get that idea? You know, you're going to have the opportunity to tell them where you got it. Okay? Now, <clears throat> Why do we tell them out? Why do we shout this out? Why do we publish this abroad? Why is it queued up within us to speak in this fashion? It's because he brought, he brought us. He brought you. He brought us from darkness to his marvelous light. Now, my wife spent junior high and high school just kind of in a dither, uh, confused and, and not part of the in crowd and and, and deeply perplexed by the lives that were being lived with the people around her and in the culture and some in her own home. And, and she would go to her teachers and she would say, what, what are you living for? What gives meaning and purpose to your life? And she really didn't get answers. And it wasn't, it wasn't until she was 20 that she went to a meeting in Oakland and Billy Graham laid out, here's a way to know who God is and his purpose for your life. She went, yes, I'm in. I want Jesus. Okay, life was no longer Russian roulette. For Peter's readers, they had, they'd come from pagan ways. They were, they were heathen. They were, they were into idols and sacrifices and bad juju. Okay? Or they were religious people. They were trying to keep kosher in the middle of all that idolatrous stuff around them. Okay, but it was just religion. It wasn't producing life. And, and Peter said, you have been brought out of that into the light. Uh, and, and the result is you have right standing with God, you have joy, and you have peace. Remember? That's, that's the kingdom of God. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. You've been brought into his light. Now, again, he says, once you were not in any relationship with him, and now you're his people. Once you didn't experience mercy at all, you only had condemnation and frustration. Now, now his mercy and his forgiveness and his acceptance flows. There's no shame. There's no guilt. It's been washed away and you stand in the light. So Forge family, brothers and sisters who are listening in, for some of us, this coming to the light is really our story. Uh, and it's precious and it's intimate and it's real. And, and for some of us, some of us stumbled our way into the arms of Jesus. And we had bashed our shins against that rock of offense. We were really put off by all that, you know, Jesus stuff. But the results of sin and disobedience had weighed down on us. And when we finally bowed to him, we were healed and lifted and washed clean, and the light came on. Now, however we arrived in the light, we are called to tell forth. 
to be ready to speak the love of Jesus. And if if somehow you find yourself resisting being drawn in, resisting speaking out of what God has done in you, if there's that check in you, if there's that resistance, if you kind of go, I really don't feel like being built into any dwelling place. You know, that kind of fellowship, ah, it's not for me. Then, Then let me urge you, brothers, sisters, run to Jesus. Sense his love for you again. Sense his desire to have you with him. Sense his longing that you obey the word of God and walk in the light. All right, Forge. God bless you. Let's pray for Mark. Lord, I pray for this man who has tuberculosis. I've not seen him. I pray, Lord, that if he's in the land of the living, Lord, you will make yourself uh, known to him. Lord, there'll be others who will tell him tuberculosis stories, Lord. There'll be those who speak about the excellencies of God. Lord, that again and again, your uh, presentation of who you are and your love for him will keep coming, Lord, because um, you, you don't wish on him that disease. You didn't give it to him. Lord, um, you, you long to have him made whole. And so um, we place him before you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Forge, love you. We'll see you soon.